Welcome to the Marketplace Midland podcast, where we highlight a monthly speaker that shares helpful tools for all of us to integrate timeless biblical principles into our modern businesses. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, the privilege is mine, and I'm sorry that uh, you're not going to get to hear Jim Henry today. Um, I was looking forward to, to hearing him speak. Um, I'm really just an ordinary average guy, I think, as Joe Walsh would say. Um, so it is a privilege for me to be here. I've enjoyed this. I think this is a wonderful opportunity. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about me first. In 2012, in that election cycle, I became very discouraged. And I think you probably can sense that again today in this election cycle. And I really just thought there's no hope for America. I really felt like that we're headed down the wrong path and this is not good. But in 2013, God got a hold of me and I really didn't know what it was about. And I'll tell you, I was, I tell people I was born in church. My mom had us in church three times a week. Um, I've taught Sunday school and been a deacon and, but this was different. I remember being in my garage after an event that was here in Midland um, and crying and sending a text message to our current student minister at the time. And I told him, I said, my life will never be the same. And I, and I really didn't know what that was about. And I began to look at my life and I thought, you know, my life is probably half over. There's a good chance. If I'm fortunate, it's at least half over. And as I began to look back on my life, I thought, you know, the first half of my life didn't really have a lot of eternal significance. And I really want the second half of my life, if I'm fortunate enough to have another 40 years, to be a life of eternal significance. And I began to study revivals and spiritual awakenings. And what I noticed is that there are just times throughout history where God shows up and changes nations. And that's what we need in America is for God to show up and to change this nation. We're a nation that's turned our back on God. And what I realized is that Jesus is the only hope. You can't legislate morality. People have to be changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so as I began to think about this, I thought, how? What can I do? What am I going to do to make my life have more eternal significance? And what can I do to make an impact? And I think it's important to, for us to really focus on what am I doing and where is this going and what impact does it make? And one of my favorite quotes from a movie is from The Gladiator where Maximus says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And, and as I began to look at my life and my days, and I would accomplish many things, but as I would look at my day individually, there wasn't a lot of things of eternal significance. I could get to the end of the day and it'd be a very small percentage of my day was actually of something of eternal significance. Francis Chan said this, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but it's succeeding in things that don't really matter. And I think I was succeeding in a lot of things that they had, they were good, but there wasn't a lot of eternal significance in what I was doing. And so I just made a commitment to myself that I was going to live a life of eternal significance. And as I began to think about that and God began to work on me, I realized that there's nothing I could do more that has more eternal significance than share the gospel. 
I mean, I can't think of anything that has more eternal significance than telling someone who's lost about Jesus Christ. And I begin to develop this passion for this. And I kind of, I read about D.L. Moody. And if you've ever heard about D.L. Moody, he was one of the greatest evangelists of all time. God used him in an extraordinary way. But D.L. Moody had a fifth grade education and he was a shoe salesman. And I thought, man, there's hope for me too. God can use me. I can have a life of eternal significance. And I began to study Moody. And one of the things that I noticed is that D.L. Moody committed to share the gospel once a day. And in his funeral, part of the funeral they preached, they talked about how Moody committed to share the gospel once a day. And I just felt convicted. Hey, if I really, if, if I really believe in Jesus... Why shouldn't I tell somebody about Jesus? I mean, if there was a, somebody was standing on the top of a 20-story building and they were fixing to walk off of it, I would say, hey, stop, or, or grab them by the collar or something. So why wouldn't I tell someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and who's headed to hell the consequences of not having a relationship with Jesus? And... What I begin to notice is that nothing really compared to sharing the hope and the love of Jesus. As I begin to do that, I became more excited by it, and it just, it just built this fire in me. And I remember, oh, it's been several months back, I really was just struggling for a little period in my life, and I thought, and I woke up one morning with, and I think it's in Nehemiah 8, and, and the verse ends in the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I thought, where do I find the most joy? And, and I remembered it's the gospel. Sharing Jesus is where joy really is for me. And so I just prayed. I'm like, God, will you just send me somebody today to share the gospel with? Just one person so I can have some joy today. So I go to lunch and I come back and there's a man I've known for 20 years in the alley. We talked for a little bit, and the Holy Spirit says, Chad, here's your guy. So I asked him, I said, how are you doing? And I was trying to get him to talk about himself, and he says, well, my knee. And so we went into this long conversation about his knee, and he was fixing to go in, and I said, look, if I don't tell you about Jesus, I've done nothing for you. I said, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And you know what he said? He says, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. God sent him to me because I asked. And so there's a text in the Bible that I think really comes to speak to this, sharing the gospel and how fulfilling it is. And it's if you remember in John 4, Jesus has just spoken to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And the disciples come to Jesus after he spoke with her, and they're, they're urging him. They're saying, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, I have food which you do not know about. And they're confused. They're, well, no one brought him anything to eat. What, what's going on? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months until the harvest? Lift up your eyes and look, the fields are white unto the harvest. And in this next verse, he says, he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal. He who reaps is gathering fruit for life eternal. And that's it. 
That's eternal significance. And when I think back at that, you know, Jesus said, he says, I have food which you do not know about. And I think what Jesus is saying there is this. You know, I used to, you've heard the saying, teach a man to fish and you, or, or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. When I, I fished a lot. And I would say, teach a man to fish and he forgets about eating. <laughs> right? Are you with me? Or teach a man to hunt or to play golf. Right? And he forgets about eating. And I think that's what Jesus is saying there. When you get where God wants you to be, when you get focused on the harvest and you're willing to go, you forget about eating. And he's not talking about we're not going to get, we're not going to eat, but... It's like the old hymn that you used to sing, some of you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it's all about Jesus. And I just want to tell you that if you haven't shared the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with someone recently, there's nothing more exciting than this. I can't find, I fought fires for 20 years and, and, and I remember being a young firefighter and my wife would pray there wouldn't be any fires and I'd get mad because I wanted to put out fires. Kevin's right, I like fire and I wanted to be the one to kick the door in. Who's kicked the door in? Man, there's nothing like kicking the door in, is there? I mean, there's, and so I would be the first one off the fire truck and grab the hose and run fast and try to kick the door in too because I wanted to be the first one in but I'll tell you, to me, that doesn't compare to sharing Jesus with someone and seeing a lost soul transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that's eternal significance. I could do a lot of things at the fire department and, and save lives and worked on the ambulance for a number of years and was a paramedic. But what have I done for somebody if I prolonged their life for 10 or 15 years and never told them about Jesus? Nothing. I've never done anything. And so I want to talk to you about six P's for practically sharing the gospel. And I want to start with the first P is permission. Believe it or not, we all have permission already. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have permission and the good thing about the Bible is if there's a command in there, you don't have to wait for God to come tell you to do that. It's already there, so you can go do it. And it's not actually, we not only have permission, but we're commanded to go. If disciple-making was for the first 12, Christianity would have died a long time ago. We're called to be disciple-makers. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary and founded China Inland Mission, said this, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Now, when I used to fish a lot, one of the things you learn real fast, you can have the best bait and the best equipment and the best tactics, but if you're not fishing where the fish are at, you're not going to catch them. 90% of the fish live in 10% of the water. You ever been fishing and not caught something? You're probably not fishing where they're at. The best thing to do is find where they're at first. And that's why electronics are so important. But you guys have your own fish pond. Church is not where the majority of lost souls are one. They're one because people are willing to go. 
so that you have permission to go. And Paul said in Romans 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we have permission. The next thing I want to talk about is we have power. Power. The last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, before he returns again, was the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit was given to us as believers to be a witness. Now, there are other gifts of the Spirit, and I don't want to dismiss those, but I think the number one reason that Christians are given the Holy Spirit is to be a witness for Christ. And we have that power in us, the same power that Peter had, the same power that Paul had, the same power that those 11 of those 12 disciples who went to their grave for Jesus had in them. Now, the key with the Holy Spirit is obedience. And I think you have to come to the place where you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's where I was missing it. I walked throughout my day just completely oblivious to what God was doing around me. But God doesn't stop working on Sunday at noon when you go home. He works throughout the week. And as we begin to obey the Holy Spirit, He begins to give us opportunities to share the gospel. And I think about Elijah on the mountain. Remember, he was going to see God, and God wasn't in the earthquake, and God wasn't in the fire. And he wasn't in the strong wind. He was in the gentle breeze. And sometimes what happens to us is when God speaks to us, it's very soft. And we hear this earthquake of doubt and this hurricane wind of fear, and we miss God. And so when God tells you to do something, if it's not unbiblical and it's not unloving, just do it. You have nothing to lose. And if he didn't tell you to do it, it wasn't unbiblical and it wasn't unloving, it's okay. I've come to the place, if I think the Holy Spirit says, pick up a piece of paper, I'll pick it up. Because next time he may tell me to do something much more important, and I want to be listening to what he tells me to do. I was, uh, and I fail at this. I was across the street from my office visiting with a man I'd never met. Talked to him for about 30 minutes. He tells me at the end of the conversation, his brother had just passed away earlier in the week. I sensed God was telling me to pray for him right here, but I didn't do it. I used, I rationalized it out. Oh, I don't know him well. What's he going to think? And I'm walking back across the street, and not audibly, but God told me, Satan didn't tell you to pray for him. I did. I missed an opportunity to be obedient in that situation. And so I really begin to try to be more obedient whenever the opportunity arises. And it, it happens in my office, and it happens in your office. It happens in the field. It happens where you work out. It happens where you live and where you play. I was in my office one day, and there was a guy. How many of you guys watch The Bachelor with your wife? Come on. <laughs> Y'all are very good husbands. <laughs> You're supposed to sacrifice and watch that stuff for her. Um, but anyway, long story short, there's this guy. He works for Merrill Lynch. He travels all over the country. He'd been on The Bachelor. I didn't know that. You know, who cares? But he's in my office. My assistant just was being nice to him. And she said, where are you from? He said, heaven. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, it doesn't matter where you're from. What matters is where you're going. 
This turns into a two-hour conversation over lunch. And we're coming back from lunch, and, and he says, Chad, I just don't agree with you. He said, I just don't believe there's a God. I said, I said, that's fine. I said, Jesus said there will be many people like you. I said, but if there was a man laying in the street here dying, would we stop and help him? He said, well, yeah. I said, that's all I'm trying to do for you. And so I began to pray for him. But you know what he told me? He says, Chad, I'm in over 100 Merrill Lynch offices, and not one person's willing to tell me their faith of any kind. He said, I at least respect you for being willing to do that. And I still pray for him. So we have permission and we have power. We just have to be obedient to that. And then we're called to plant. In, in Mark 4, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts his seed upon a soil. He goes to bed at night and wakes up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows how he does not know. For the soil produces the crops itself. First the blade, and then the head, and then the mature head. And when the crop permits, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So we're called to plant the seed. You can't force anyone to be a follower of Christ. That's something that God does. Jesus said in John 6, no one comes to me but by the Father that draws me. The Holy Spirit begins to work in people's lives. He begins to convict them that they don't have a relationship with Jesus, that they don't have the hope of going and spending eternity in heaven. So obedience is our responsibility. The results are God's. That was so liberating to me to realize I don't have to be responsible to save anyone. All I have to do is be responsible to simply share. So we're just called to plant. So we have permission, power, we're called to plant. And then prayer is essential. And I really believe that if we as Christians spend as much time praying for the lost as we did to keep sick Christians out of heaven, there'd be a lot more lost people going to heaven. You know, we have a lot of Christian friends that are sick. And, and the Bible is very clear in James, we're supposed to pray for healing. But I think we should devote at least an equal amount of time to praying for the lost that we do praying for a sick person to keep them from going to heaven. I, I'm kind of ready to go, personally. Um, and, and whenever God decides that, that's okay. But I think prayer is essential. We have a prayer meeting every Thursday at noon. And in that prayer meeting... God just told me one day that, who's seen the movie Woodlawn? God said, show that movie to high school kids. So we rented a theater, invited the kids from Midland High, 40 kids showed up. I got at the end, up at the end, shared the gospel, there were 13 saved. We went on to do that in Odessa and Midland again and Lubbock and El Paso. It's just not, we've been in a prison now. Just being obedient, but if I hadn't been in that prayer meeting and listened to what God was saying, I don't think that we would have gotten that opportunity. And I'll tell you this, everybody that you come in contact with needs prayer in Jesus. Is there anybody in here who wouldn't, who would turn down prayer today? I mean, if you want to pray for me, you can pray for me anytime. I think prayer is so essential and everybody needs that. And if you really want to share the gospel with someone, I believe the best way to do that is to just approach them and say, can I pray for you? How many of you have had somebody in the last month come up to you on the street or in Walmart and say, can I pray for you? If you're a waitress or a waiter, maybe. But it tears down a wall. And most often people will say, yes. And I'll say, well, what is it? Can I pray for something specific? And often they'll tell me. And I'll say, can I pray right here? And often they'll let me. 
And then it just opens the door for me to just tell them about my, how Jesus has changed me or ask them, has anyone ever told you about Christ? And if they say yes, I just ask them, how has Jesus changed your life? And so praying really opens the door. I was coming back from, uh, and it's everybody doesn't need salvation. Sometimes God just sends you to people who need encouragement or prayer. I was coming back from Snyder into Big Spring. I don't know what that highway is. And I saw this man walking up the side of the road. He had a bottle in his hand and a paper bag. And God just convicted me to turn around and give this guy a ride. I did. I pulled up next to him. I said, hey, do you need a ride? He said, yeah. And I thought, I'm fixing that to take him all the way to Snyder. You know, I'm going to be late. So he gets in. I said, how far are you going? He said, three quarters of a mile. I'm thinking, God, what's this about? So he gets in my car. We drive about three quarters of a mile. There's a dirt road that leads to a house. And I said, hey, has anyone ever told you about Jesus? He said, yeah. He says, man, I used to do a lot of mission work south of the border. I started a ministry in Amarillo, but my wife died. I'm, excuse me, my daughter committed suicide eight months ago. I said, whoa. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah. So I just prayed for this man. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what I prayed. He wasn't in my car five minutes. That's on Monday. When he got out of my car, though, I had some of my cards on my console. And he said, can I have one of your cards? I said, sure. This guy, Rob, calls me on Friday. He says, hey, Chad, this is Rob. I know that God had you stop and give me a ride because I asked him to send somebody to give me a ride. And I know you had to turn around to do it. He says, I just want you to know that God used you. I'm back in Amarillo. I have a meeting with the church this afternoon. I talked to Rob not before last. He's doing well. He's got a job. He's back working construction. He's going to a Bible study. Everybody needs prayer in Jesus. And we need to be prepared, really, for that. Um, so the last thing is, not the last thing, the fifth thing is prepared. You know, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. Because you never know when the time is going to come. I, uh, another morning recently, I prayed for God to just send me somebody, and I walked into the break room. Now, sometimes God just hits you between the eyes with it, okay? And this gentleman who's worked at Merrill Lynch for a long time, he says, Chad, do you have any good news today? I said, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> but I was ready, right? I mean, and sometimes the Holy Spirit just really teased those up, and that's much better than me having to sometimes just discern, okay, is there somebody in this room I need to share the gospel with? And I will oftentimes walk into a store and say, God, is there somebody in here you want me to speak to? And if God leads me to somebody, I'll just go speak to them. I don't have anything to lose. They have something to lose if I don't tell them about Christ. So we have to be prepared. And I think it's important in this prepared to be able to articulate the gospel clearly, all of it. Everyone is a sinner. We've all broken one of God's commandments, whether it's lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, murder. And you say, I never committed adultery. Well, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery. The Bible says if you've broken one of them, you've broken them all. And the Bible's very clear that everyone's a sinner. Any man who says he's not is a liar, and it makes him a sinner. So everyone's a sinner, but we had to... Someone has to understand that they're a sinner and that they're lost and that they're headed to hell before you can often help them find their way. 
right? If we're lost, we need to find, realize we're lost before we're going to find our way. So the first step is being clear, presenting the gospel to them. And then the Bible's very clear that the wages are what I deserve for my sin is death and hell. Jesus says he's going to return and he's going to separate those who know who are on Jesus's team, their Christ followers on his right and everyone who's else on his left. And he's, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. So Jesus is either a liar or he's the only way. And me personally, I put my hope and my faith and my trust in the one that predicted his own death and his own burial and his own resurrection. And then he pulled it off. But Jesus said, I am the only way. And the Bible says you can't earn it. If you want to be good enough to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's only by grace, which is a gift, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus, this man who was God, he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He was buried in the grave and he arose on Easter Sunday, which we're fixing to celebrate in a couple of weeks. And he says he's coming back for everyone who is a Christ follower. And he knows you. Make no mistake about it. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus knows it. When he turns around, you're there. And if you're not a Christ follower, he knows that too. And it's not about something I say or something I do. It's about being a follower. It's about a relationship. The Bible says we're to repent and believe. John the Baptist said, repent and believe. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. The disciples preached, repent and believe. That's to turn from sin and turn to Jesus and put your hope and your trust in him. And I'll tell you, Jesus will never leave you where he found you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he will change you over time. You will begin to look more like him. Most people hang their head on John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's true. But John, if you read to the end in verse 36, says this. He who obeys the son will see life, but whoever does not obey the son will not see life. True faith in Jesus leads to obedience and a following relationship with him. And so... In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, He who goes on willfully sinning after receiving a knowledge of the truth and no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. I think Paul said it best in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he said, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old things have passed away and the new things have come. Jesus changes you. And Jesus has changed me. You can ask many people in this room, who know me and have known me for a long time. And Jesus has changed me, and I can tell you that. And if you want to share the gospel with someone, just tell them how Jesus has changed you. But if you can't tell someone how Jesus has changed you, then you really have to evaluate your own life to see if you really have a relationship with them. And you can't live a life of eternal significance if you don't plan to live a life of eternity in heaven with Jesus. And it starts by admitting that. And so we have to be prepared to share that gospel. And then the last thing is we have to have a different perspective. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There's not black, white, rich, poor, 
Baptist, Methodist. There's those who are spiritually dead and those who are spiritually alive. That's how God sees people. 1 John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So everybody that you come into contact with is either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. They either have a relationship with Jesus or they don't. They've either been changed by Jesus or they haven't. And today, in this room, there are only two kinds of people. Those who have a relationship with Jesus and who have been changed by Him, and those who haven't. That's it. When in eternity, all that matters when you stand before God is if Jesus knows you. And He knows you because you have a relationship with Him. Jesus just calls us to turn from sin, to turn to Him and put our hope and our faith and our trust in Him and follow Him. He said, come follow me. We're going to end this a little bit different today than we've ended it before. We're going to end this today in a time of prayer. And in this time of prayer, I want you just in your own life to just reflect back on how Jesus has changed you. Not what you've done, not what you've done to try to be good or try to do good things for God, but how has Jesus changed you? If you would, let's just everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you just to reflect for a few moments on how Jesus has changed your life. And let's just continue in this state of prayer for a minute. Father God, we thank you that Jesus came and died on the cross that we can have hope of eternity with him. And God, there are those in this room today that you know, and they know, God, that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know for certain that if they were to leave here today and something were to happen, that they would spend eternity in heaven with you. And God, you know their hearts. Every heart in this room, God, you know. And so there's some in this room that we know, God, who don't have that hope. God, maybe there's others of us in here who we're certain that we have that hope, but we haven't really been following. And so if you'll just continue to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I would just ask you to begin to pray for everyone around you. And I'm going to ask you if you're in this room today, and you know that you don't have that hope, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to be a follower of Jesus. If you want today to leave here knowing that you can spend eternity in heaven with Christ, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. God knows your hearts, man. Let's just continue to pray. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you really want to have a relationship with Jesus, and you know in your heart He's drawing you today, you can sense that. You feel an emptiness. You know something's not right. And you can't tell me, Chad, Jesus has changed my life in this way. And you want to truly follow Jesus. Just raise your hand. Amen. God knows your hearts. Excellent. Praise God. 
Maybe there's some of you here you just want to recommit your life. Maybe there's somebody God's been telling you to share the gospel with. I'm going to ask you to make a choice to do that today, too. If you've raised your hand, though, and you say, Chad, I don't know Jesus. I know that, and he doesn't know me. I've heard the name, but I'm not really a follower. And I want to do that. I genuinely want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to live a life of eternal significance. I'm just going to pray. And I want you just to pray something along the lines of what I pray. And you can pray it silently. God knows your heart. This is just an opportunity for you to have a, a marker in your life that you chose to follow Christ. So if you're choosing to follow Jesus today, just pray with me. Father God, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus was your son. I believe he died on the cross for me. And I'm choosing to follow him. And I'm going to put my hope and my faith and my trust in Jesus today. If you've prayed that prayer today and you meant it, God knows your heart. God, I thank you for each man who's here today. I thank you for these ones who've made a commitment to follow you, God. That now I can call a brother in Christ that they know that they have hope of heaven in eternity. God, I'm so grateful. And if there's someone else who's wrestling with that, God, I pray that they wouldn't leave here without talking to someone. God, we just thank you for sending Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And if he, we know that if, if there was some other way, you wouldn't have to sacrifice your son. So I pray today, God, that as we leave here, that we would remember that it's all about Jesus. And you would open the eyes of our heart, God, to those around us who need Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Real quick, before we go, it's time to be dismissed. If... If you want to recommit your life to Christ, or you said today, I want to follow Jesus, we're going to have some guys hang around uh, kind of by that back wall. And these guys can be back there. If you guys will just head back there. Um, these guys will be back there, too, to pray with you. If you're struggling with your job, you're not sure if you're going to have your job next week or next month, and you want somebody to pray with you, do that. There's also on your table some cards. And it's important for you to, if you're making a commitment to follow Christ, to, to fill out one of these cards, because I want to reach back out to you and I want to pray for you. If you're choosing to follow Jesus, I want to pray for you and I'll commit to praying for you. So these guys back here will have cards. There's cards on your table. But if you would, just leave these cards back there with the ladies when you leave. It's really important that we get you some information if you've chosen to follow Christ. There's guys at the back of the room. They have these cards as well. They're willing to pray with you. Um, it's time to go. Thank you. Uh, the privilege was mine. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Marketplace Midland Podcast. 